Now, like I was going to say, today's teaching is brought to you by the word tautology. Because I told the guys what I was going to title this message, because you have to title it for things like YouTube and the church website and stuff. And William heard that and he goes, well, that's a tautology. And that is saying the same thing, same thing. (laughs) It's like the Department of Redundancy Department. That's redundancy. Tautology would be saying the same thing twice in different words. So what I call this is advance warning. And he says, well, a warning is an advance. (laughs) I can't remember, but I think I thanked William for his helpfulness. But if we can get past an obvious tautology, we got something important here. Because Christmas is about, and I'm sorry, advance warning. It's about preparing people to be ready to receive the Lord when he comes. Now, we read this morning, and I'm reading in a, in a different translation from Malachi chapter 4, where it says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse." And the reason why I chose that translation, I do all my study in that translation, and it popped out to me that God does not want to smite the land with a curse when he comes. And you think, why would he do that? Why would God feel it a necessity to smite the land with a curse when he comes? And it has to do with the hearts of the fathers towards their children. You know, he doesn't want fathers not caring for their children. He doesn't want children not caring for their fathers. Because when nobody cares, then people treat one another badly. And there seems no end to the kind of wicked things people will do to one another. That's one of the worst things about living today, is reading in the news what kind of awful things people are doing to one another. And it makes you sick, doesn't it? You just get topped off with news and you say, I don't wanna hear anything more. And you realize we're not hearing the half of what's going on in the world nowadays because the hearts of the fathers are not turned to the children and the children are not turned to the fathers. Well, see, God 
He doesn't want to come and show up and curse. He wants to bless. Okay? So, in order to bless, he's going to prepare people. You ever thought why the need for a forerunner? What would happen if the Messiah just shows up unannounced? You get surprised, shocked, and you're not receptive. Do you like being surprised? Ding dong. Oh, hello, we're here. I didn't know they were coming. I'm shocked, I'm surprised, and I'm not receptive. All right, nobody likes to be surprised because we get defensive. It's just like your birthday party, right? They've worked hard to make it a surprise. Your first thing is, I gotta defend myself. Surprise, what do you mean? You mean it's okay now? Well, I got my eye on you, where's the cake? All right, God wants to take that same sort of strategy and let everybody know in advance, I'm coming. Now, what we're going to look at is the practical outworking of this. Because the first Christmas begins with preparing the forerunner's father because he's not ready. Are you interested? All right, I'm reading in Luke 1. And it's, I'm starting from the very beginning. Luke says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So here we are, consider this the warm-up to Christmas. And God has to start somewhere. And so he starts with this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And they are, on the one hand, amazing. They have a tremendous pedigree that is, Zacharias is of the division of Abijah. He's a priest. The priests were arranged by David 
into 24 orders by families. And Abijah was the eighth order of priests. And Zacharias is married to uh, Elizabeth. She's descended from the line of Aaron, the high priest. So they have a fabulous heritage. And it also says they're both righteous before God. He would own them as righteous. They knew the commandments. They carried out the commandments. This is not only their job. It's their life. So, an interesting couple, and yet there's something really sad and puzzling about them, and that is they are childless. And if you want to have children, and you really want them, and you can't have them, it is sad. It's a tragedy. Just as much then, if not more, because there's an added stigma to this. There's a feeling like, well, something's got to be wrong between you and God, that God would withhold the fruit of the womb, and yet there's nothing there. They're blameless. So this is sad. And they're advanced in age. So there is a sense of resignation about this. You know, things don't work backwards. We're done. That's sad and puzzling, isn't it? Now, as we read on in verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was spent, sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words 
which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, this day began as a day of great honor for Zacharias. Because you notice there in verse 9, he was chosen by lot to burn incense at the temple at this hour of prayer. At this time, there were some 18,000 priests. And again, arranged in 24 orders, and each order of priests would serve once every six months. So at a certain point, they realized that not everybody would get a chance to perform this ceremony of burning incense while people are praying because incense is that symbol of prayer. It is pungent and it is burning and the smoke arises to God. It's situated right before the veil to the Holy of Holies and it actually belongs strictly speaking, to the Holy of Holies, not the holy place that is before. The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is, the presence of God, the cherubim whose wings touch each other, the throne of God. So because there were so many priests, in order to be fair about it, they would cast lots for that order that was serving that month. And if a guy won the lot, that would be like the pinnacle of his career. You could only do it once in your life. And you won the lot. Today, you are peaking. You are getting to do what some guys will never do in their entire life. You will go in there and burn incense before God at the hour of prayer. Wow. Now he's well advanced in years. This is the culmination of his career. It's kind of like going out with a bang. Wow, today is my day. Well done, Zacharias. Wow, good for you, man. Now go in there and do it. So... Here he is going inside and the people are all out there. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and this is not part of the ceremony. And Zacharias, you noticed, is surprised and he's shocked and he's not receptive because he's never seen an angel you have never seen an angel. But believe me, if you saw one, you would know it. Angelic. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> and verse 12, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. This always happens when an angel shows up. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? Because it's unexpected and it's a shock and third, angels have about them this presence of God. 
And it tends to make one feel very unfit to be in the presence of God. In other words, you feel impending danger. And so you get the feeling like, am am I going to die? That's a lot of what people think when they first see a Bible. Am I going to die? Is this it? Now, the angel only says good things. These are only good things. Nothing threatening. First thing he says is, don't be afraid. It's okay. Your prayer is heard. God is going to answer your prayer. Isn't that a good thing? And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And this is going to be great. You wanted a child. He's going to give you one. God himself. And he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Isn't that fabulous? But Zacharias isn't receptive. Weird. But he says, really? And he basically says, that is not going to happen. How shall I know this? He says, I'm an old man. So is my wife. Forget all the stories about people who were barren in the Bible, like Rebecca. 20 years, they were trying to have kids. And finally, she goes to the Lord and says, what's going on? And Isaac prays for her and she conceives. But that's a long time to go without kids. Abraham and Sarah. So that should be in the back of his mind. But Zacharias just goes, I'm done. And this is not going to happen. So you notice his heart is actually not really turned toward his father in heaven. And he's not thinking about his son. Isn't that interesting? Well, remember that God does not want to smite with cursing when he comes. And God doesn't want to smite Zacharias. So he prepares him. So Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. This is God talking to you. This message is true. And God also knows the impossibilities. He says, you know, you're not going to be able to speak until the time when my words take place because they surely will be fulfilled. Now, I have read commentaries where this is described as punishment or this is described as judgment. And it's not. Did you know that? This is not cursing. This is not being smote. It's not like God changed his mind. I'm going to bless him. What? That little squirt said, what? Ah, I'm going to smite him. Talk back to me, will you? 
It's like God knew he was gonna have a hard time with this. Does everybody get that? So this is not punishment. And it is amazing how the commentaries will get things wrong. Not that everybody's wrong, but you know, you gotta read your Bible. Because your Bible will shed so much light on the commentaries. <laughs> and sometimes help those poor guys out. So you know, what God does is he disciplines him. He's giving him a time out. Have you ever, do you know what a time out is? Some kid's got a full head of steam and you just say, time out, pal. And that's what he's giving him for nine months. Now, Zacharias can't really talk with anybody right now, but he can think. And this is the kind of thing that Zacharias thinks about for the next nine months. First of all, what the angel said is going to happen. Because he said, I would not be able to talk, and I cannot talk. So everything else he said is true. I am going to have a son. And of course, Elizabeth conceives. And he knows, I am going to have a son. He knows that's not a girl in there. It's a son. I know it. These are not the days of ultrasounds. But he knows it's going to be a boy. And it, I'm alive. He did not kill me for my unbelief. He said it was unbelief, but he didn't kill me. I'm still alive. Thank you, God. I'm going to have a son even though I'm too old for this. I thought I was done. Evidently, I'm not. God has more for me to do. Thank you. In fact, I'm the father of the forerunner of the Messiah. I know when the Messiah is going to show up in my son's generation. The Messiah is on the way. Everything that's promised in the Bible is happening right now. Now, when this kid shows up, this baby is most precious. He's not just anybody. He is going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so I'm going to be his father. I am going to teach this little life to love the Lord his God because God himself wanted him to be born. God loves him. And God loves me. And I know that now. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God doesn't want me dead. If he doesn't want me dead, he wants me alive. He loves me. In fact, he's thinking, you know, I've always known that God was good, but I had it in the back of my mind that he's not that good because he did not answer my prayer. 
and he blew my mind and he's blowing it now because he's answering my prayer in a way I would never have asked for. This is far and beyond anything I could have asked. But he said, your prayer is heard and you're going to have a son. He goes, this is just too much. It is amazing. All of this is working in his heart and in his mind for nine months. He cannot talk about it. Unless he wants to get out, you know, a chalkboard and start scribbling and who's got time for that? Now, he's still mute when his son is born. And his son is circumcised on the eighth day. For eight more days after his son is born, he can't talk. A little longer than he would have thought, maybe. But then they're, they're going to name him. They name him at the circumcision ceremony. They say, well, we're going to call him Zacharias after his father. And he's, what? What's he mean here? They work it out. Call him John. John? There's nobody in your family like that. His name is John. And as soon as he writes that, he can talk. And what comes out of his mouth is pure worship inspired by the Holy Spirit. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant bursting forth with praise that he could not say but he was thinking about for nine months. And look especially in verse 76 of chapter 1. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, Zacharias is only full of the good things that God wants to do. He's so aware now that God does not want to smite with a curse. God is overflowing with blessing right now. And especially, he's turned Zacharias's heart to his heavenly father. He's turned Zacharias's heart to his son. They are prepared for the day of the Lord that's coming. And they're prepared to receive him. So, Christmas is advance knowledge. 
that Jesus is coming into the earth to bless and not curse. And it's really good news from God. And you might think, well, well, you know, you already came. We're done, right? But there are two advents. And Jesus came the first time, but he's coming the second time. He's coming again. And Christmas turns out to be one of those ways to get prepared. Because what has the church been doing for the last 2,000 years? We've been saying, get ready because he's coming. And what God has done has made us all forerunners for the Messiah, just like John. And we're telling everybody all year long, you got to get ready. I think that's interesting. See, the rest of Malachi 4 has to be fulfilled. That great and terrible day of the Lord is coming. And the Lord Jesus is going to come in power and glory and all of the arrogant and all of the wicked are going to be like chaff. And they're going to be burned. And they will be ashes under the souls of the righteous. This is going to happen. And the righteous, it'll be like the sun of righteousness coming up. It says in Psalm 37 that our righteousness will be brought forth as the light and our judgment is the noonday. It will be clear. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then we will also be revealed with him in glory. So this is coming, and we'll be joyful like calves skipping around the stall. I don't know how to do that, but we'll figure out. Kind of kicking it up and going, woo-hoo, or maybe moo-moo. I don't know. But Christmas is advance notice that it will happen. And that's worked into our culture. So we, we get to do that every year. But really, Christmas is every day, if you believe, isn't it? All right. So what we want to do then is get prepared to receive him. So think about this. God wants our hearts as parents to be turned toward the children. He wants the children's hearts to be turned toward the parents. You know what he wants? He wants us to love everybody. And if we're loving everybody, we'll get ready. You know why? Because it's hard to love. And Christmas is one of those times where it really points it out because we've got to spend time with people and there's always tension. Have you ever had a Christmas without tension? It's sort of the dark side of Christmas. This has to get ready on time, and where are they? And oh, they're being a pain, and it's hard to love everybody, and we're all together, but we don't like it. But this is where we can pray God, turn my heart to the children, turn the children's heart to me. Lord, come on into our family and love everybody. 
because this has been on my heart lately. The exhortation in Hebrews 12 where it says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And see, we are so close to that. So this has to be a priority. Say, you know, I want to be found doing what I'm supposed to be doing when you come. I don't want to be surprised when you take your church out of the world. I don't want that to be a shock and I don't want to be unreceptive at that time. I think that when we are challenged to love everybody, that makes me feel pretty helpless. Because the longer I go, the more I realize I don't care about anybody but myself. And I prove that to myself all the time. And I come back to God and I say, you know, that's really lame. That's really lame. I don't really care about anybody but myself. And then I find myself repenting. Would you please help me? Would you please cleanse me? Would you please enable me? And see, this is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be helpless and to depend completely and utterly upon Jesus. Will you love people through me? Will you bless people through me? Now, one of our big problems, among a whole list, but I'm only going to talk about one, is that we really don't think God's going to do anything. Like Zacharias, we pray, we read our Bibles, but when God actually does something, we don't believe Him. And if we don't believe Him, we're going to be shocked, surprised, and maybe unreceptive. So we want to prepare our hearts right now. And how we do it is we say, God, you prepare my heart. You do perfect work. So would you prepare me to be ready that when you pull your church out of the world, I'm going to go, yeah, at 38,000 feet. So, here's our Christmas present. This is what I want in my stocking. I want God to make me a believer who really believes Him. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus is coming again and you're preparing all kinds of people. We heard it this morning. You are preparing people for your return. And we're so glad. And you're working in our lives. So we pray that you would make room in us. And help us to hear your voice, to have a listening heart. Help us to love everybody around us.
even if they're way unlovable. We pray for your power and your mercy this Christmas to bless every get-together we're going to have. Bless this street caroling in Hampton on Monday. Be that fragrance of Christ. That wonderful love that draws everyone to Jesus. And bless this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.